0: back to another episode of the rare disorder podcast of my meet a partner series today I have a special guest on with me Ella Balassa. Ella Balassa is a patient advocate speaker and consultant and she is very passionate about amplifying patient voices in healthcare. Ella I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today just to get started and my listeners can get to know you a bit could you please give an introduction of yourself.
1: Hi, yeah, thanks for having me on here Shivani, Um, appreciate it. I am a patient advocate with cystic fibrosis and um, for those unaware, CF is a genetic lung disease and it's characterized by thick mucus in the lungs that um, lead to lung infections and require uh, multiple and chronic use of antibiotics throughout life. Um, and then it also leads to a shortened life expectancy because of the lung disease, uh, lung deterioration that it causes. Um, I have been throughout my years uh, growing up, I've received a lot of care from doctors, you know, a lot of hospital stays, um, really learned the value of my own voice in my health care and the importance of having the uh, co-partnership and the, the, uh, the information sharing back and forth between a physician and a patient such as myself. And so I've utilized these experiences and, and my patient perspective to lend my voice to uh, improving healthcare communications, whether that is uh, from patient to industry, patient to doctor, um, and just even within uh, healthcare organizations to improve the way that they are um, working with and relating to patients all over Mm
0: -hmm. so you mentioned that like you've kind of had these multiple experiences that kind of like led to you thinking that you need to change something and kind of um, speak up and amplify help amplify patient voices Um, so I was just wondering if there was like any one experience that really stood out to you um, whether that was, like, with your journey with cystic fibrosis or just, like, in the healthcare system?
1: I would say there are, there are maybe, in general, um, just with experiencing a lot of hospitalizations and realizing that, you know, I have a lot of knowledge about my own health and my day-to-day health that my doctors, you know, are only, they're only seeing snippets of time when you go in for clinic visits, when there's like a, a time point of data collection and where they're um, making inferences from, you know, your, your health overall and and, and, and um, suggestions for what to improve or how to continue on or how to, you know, how to manage your care. But I realized that I could fill in these gaps with relaying what I knew about my day-to-day symptoms with them. And so I really, um, you know, realized what an important conversation, the back and forth is, you know, from Mm -hmm. them suggesting to me what I should do and then me also um, using my my voice to fill in their gaps in understanding about my care so that we can, you know, move to to better overall choices for my health and decisions for my care. And so I wouldn't say that, And necessarily for, for a long time, I didn't, I wouldn't say that there was one specific thing, um, that I could point to, but as I gotten older and now I'm in my late twenties and a couple of years ago, I was already very, at that point, very vocal in my care. Um, but a specific, um, health experience made me, um, really push my, um, push my limits or my my boundaries on what I thought I could um, accomplish for my own health. So to to be more specific, so I have a background in biology and um, I was working in a lab for a number of years. So I, you know, I have understood research, kind of worked in that realm, um, you know, communicating with healthcare professionals, researchers alike. Um, And so I, around the same time, I've, I was also starting to struggle um, quite a lot with these, infect, with these infections in my lungs, as I stated, that are caused by the buildup of mucus in the lungs. And so having utilized so many antibiotics over my, life, over my lifetime, these um, antibiotics were no longer working. So I was fighting these really difficult-to-treat infections, and I wasn't seeing any relief in my symptoms. So I got really sick uh, in December, um, I guess it was like December of 2018, and um, uh, I was on intravenous antibiotics, and they weren't helping treat these infections at all. And so I had been, been quite um, motivated and, and up to date on new research that is coming in around NCF and, you know, potential opportunities to try to clinic, you know, part of clinical trials. I actually found out about a experimental treatment called phage therapy, Mm -hmm. and this was for um, basically phage are viruses that attack a very specific host, so attack only the bacteria that I had, the strain of bacteria that I had in my lungs that I was struggling with. And so I think that it was an experimental therapy. You know, it was something that was. looked at and still is at research institutes and um, academia. And so I contacted researchers directly myself and I pursued finding out more information to see if this was something that I could try for myself,
0: Mm -hmm. being
1: that I was running out of options with antibiotics. And so I communicated directly with them, I emailed them, talked to them on the phone, they were very receptive. You know, I think they understood that fortunately for me because of the background I have you know I think that I could really understand a lot of um you know the science really just the research the science of how a phage might help me and what it could what it could do and Mm -hmm. it was scary to take that on myself and to make the decision that this is what I was going to do um but I you know I contacted my CF doctor of course about it and then discussed it with him but He wasn't um, that supportive. He was like, okay, if this is something you feel you have to do or you really want to pursue this and it's on you, go for it. Um, But, you know, he wasn't leading the charge. It was me doing that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I ended up receiving this therapy um, a few weeks to months later and it did help to treat my infection. And so now now I'm an advocate for that therapy as well. But the point of that, but the point of the whole story was that I, that was when I really realized how much of an impact I could have and I did have
0: mm-hmm.
1: on my own healthcare. Like the, the outcome of receiving a therapy that if I wouldn't have pursued that in the way that I did, never would have come about. Mm-hmm. Um, I never would have had that opportunity. Um, and so that was just a, a very pivotal moment for me or just really stands out in in my healthcare experience, and what I talk about a lot is that, you know, it, it, we have to be, we have to, as patients, we have to be informed, learn about new research, learn about trials in general, learn about our healthcare and about our diseases, and then, you know, reach, uh, reach for opportunities or possibilities, or just learn, reach for new information as much as we can, because we don't know what those outcomes can lead to, and, the conversations that can come from that and um if we don't ask we don't know so mm-hmm. um I think that that um I think that answers the question
0: yeah yeah um um so that kind of like leads to um what I would want to ask you next like why do you really um believe in the value of patient voice in research because I know that you're a huge advocate for this um, so what are some of like the main reasons or experiences that kind of led you to believe in this?
1: So uh, this definitely was the peak of that but even leading up to um, you know me taking on this kind of role in my own care um, as I uh, and when I was working in those years that I was working in the lab and environmental research that wasn't even health related Um, But understanding that, or realizing that there was this overlap in what I was doing in my work and we we were actually analyzing um, environmental bacteria and some of the same ones are present in the lungs of people with CF. And so this connection was very cool and I also realized that, you know, how much input or how much value I could have to advancing CF research. Mm-hmm. By providing my perspective as a patient who understands the science and how I can relate that back to researchers or, or healthcare professionals and in what we as patients are experiencing, what we need, um, what where we see gaps in research. Um, and so I initially started volunteering with the, the CF Foundation and uh, I was on a number, and I still am, on a number of research-related committees um, providing the patient experience and perspective on um, clinical trial protocol design. So, you know, thinking about, well, how can a certain protocol be modified or improved that can either better target a certain population, how can we be more inclusive of, of patients, um, and also less burdensome because as we know clinical trial involvement is um, it, it can be very burdensome for patients and making it as easy as possible and accessible as possible for patients to participate is going to advance research, research faster. So I began to take on these opportunities and then also in um, some committees with um, research prioritization, as I said, like what, what is important to the CF community, um, where do we want where do we see gaps in research, what do we want to have more, you know, option treatment options centered yeah. around. So that's how I um, initially started my advocacy work um, in, in, in these committees and then I realized how important my voice was and
0: and now it's just really extended mm-hmm. yeah, um, what you're talking about, like kind of getting that patient perspective, I feel like that's really important, um especially in in rare disease research, because um kind of getting those like unique like challenges that patients are facing and also their struggles. um I know that that really helps researchers because um they kind of know like what the patient um, themselves is experiencing. Um, so, yeah, so, um, the next thing I just kind of wanted to ask is, like, could you briefly talk about, um, the different types of advocacy work you take part in today? Like, I know you mentioned, um, volunteering with the CF Foundation, but just, like, any other advocacy work you also participate in. Yeah,
1: so I... Also for a while and, and still am part of a CF nonprofit organization where um, we pretty much serve as a resource for the CF community and through that organization I began writing um, patient facing or you know community facing blogs um, pretty much uh, centered around clinical trial information and science-based research and um, just, you know, new research that's coming about in in the CF community. So I worked with various companies to um, write these blogs and author these blogs and um, get information to the patient, to the CF community um, about some of these opportunities and just to bring awareness to what may line the future for us. And so. That interaction also opened the doors for me to realize that I could um, communicate uh, between industry and as a patient, and so then I had opportunities to, or, you know, I'm having more opportunities as being a a patient advisor, sort of, in a role, whereas um, sitting on a number of patient advisory boards um with a couple of healthcare companies um and also in um, providing both uh, advising uh, more broadly as far as the patient engagement strategy that is useful that could be helpful to organizations and then also um involved more specifically with um, Projects, uh, for example, you know how to improve telehealth for, for patients. You know what are um, some barriers? Where can we um, work in companies improve upon those communications? Thinking about diversity, how can that be improved on? Um, and then also um, thinking, also participating in and kind of putting um. Yeah, having some involvement in um, more of the marketing side too mm-hmm. as far as how uh, for example for a certain app or for a new device or for um, you know a, a new initiative you know how can um, interest be garnered from a certain patient population for a patient community how can that um, content be tailored for for their for interest and, and how can that um, yeah be be targeted for a certain population? So it's kind of a a broad range of things, mm-hmm. but uh, some some being more um, science geared and some more in the marketing side. Uh, and then also I speak publicly about um, you know on podcasts, such as yours, and then also. Um, um, for a number of conferences, uh, detailing and, and describing the the importance of having patients involved in research, and then um, you know overall patient engagement and patient advocacy strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of it.
0: All right. So um, as you've kind of engaged in this advocacy work, I'm sure like you've met a lot of new people along the way, and like kind of. Um, met a broad range of perspectives like whether that is like patients who also have cystic fibrosis but have like totally different experiences or just other people in the rare disease community um so has this kind of like shaped your outlook um on anything or like um is there anything that has stood out to you as you've kind of met this diverse range of people
1: i think that you know we all have our unique stories and our experiences do vary quite a bit in the way that we've had to navigate our, our our healthcare and healthcare system. But I think there are a lot of overarching our overarching themes of experiences, and that is that I think often we struggle with. Um, not having our voice heard or being placed into a box, you know, as we can only, you know, we are the patients. We um, may, you know, we are perceived to maybe not have a lot of the knowledge or ability to communicate and be co-partners in care. Um, where where I think that, and that is changing, and I think it's so 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 important, but. Um, you know, I think that we have all experienced that to some degree. Um, and I also think that as re- the rare disease community, you know there isn't there isn't that many of us, and I think that we we struggle with you know we have a lot of hope that there is going to be new advances coming out for our for our care, you know, in, in the very near future, um, but we all we have to be, in some ways, patient, but also very proactive, in uh, you know, as I did, pushing for new therapy options that we might not think are a possibility, and kind of pushing outside our comfort zone and our and our and our and our boxes, and how you know, working, pushing companies, and sharing our experiences, and. Making them realize how important it is that even though we are a small population, um, you know there are many, there are many, many people with rare disease. That one in ten people have um, have one. So, um, you know it's actually quite quite a number of us. So if you know, even if only if you were helped by a specific medication or or you know advancement, um, it's still making. Huge strides in rare disease research, so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I think that there are there are there are many overlapping themes in the ways that we get care and perceive care um, and our hope is well for the future
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I like have also like as I've interviewed numerous like podcast guests and stuff like that. I've also noticed that like although like some people may have the same rare disease they have like totally different stories which is like super interesting to me um and I also believe like in the power of really sharing stories because I feel like um sometimes patients might be like scared to speak up or something like that but I feel like whoever's listening gets really impacted because people will always remember like experiences and stories over like a medical term or a statistic um, so that's one thing that I'm also like a really big advocate for like kind of sharing stories putting yourself out there um especially since today in the rare disease community community there's like many different forms to share your story um, from like blogs to podcasts um, and it's like really great to see kind of how it's grown over the years because just a couple years ago I know that there were not like this many podcasts or this many like rare disease organizations or like this many like blogs just like in general like ways to kind of put yourself out there um but I feel like today like there's a lot more outlets and a lot more opportunities for patients to step forward.
1: Absolutely I agree um I think yeah as we you know I think with social media, with the internet connecting us, um, you know, these opportunities have become abundant and especially just in in connecting these rare disease communities together. So, you know, even in, the, in cystic fibrosis, um, for those that may not know, those with CF are and actually shouldn't be coming in close proximity to one another because of the potential to transmit some of these um, bacteria to one another so with those health uh, precautions um, we really only you know for the most part connect virtually mm-hmm. and so you know without these are you know without these uh, avenues of online connection you know we wouldn't you know, we are we were we as a community would not be very connected at all and so having these podcasts and blogs and um, social media profiles and stories, you know, really help us to, um, you know, feel very close to one another.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So, um, if you're comfortable, would you be able to kind of talk about like your diagnosis journey of cystic fibrosis and like any struggles you may have encountered along the way? Because, um, I know for patients like diagnosis, the diagnostic process can be one of the hardest parts of their journey as a rare disease patient. Um, So if you're comfortable, um, could you please talk a little bit about that? So I actually don't
1: have too much to share because I was actually diagnosed at 18 months old. So I was a baby. And um, just from what I know my, my parents sharing about it is, that um I was diagnosed um I mean everybody with CF obviously does it it varies um Mm -hmm. the symptoms vary so people some people are diagnosed right at birth some not until you know six seven years old or later um but I was I was having I recall my parents saying that I was having a lot of respiratory problems um a lot of digestive issues was very skinny was always always was i always had a cold Always coughing um, and they really had no idea my parents had never heard of cystic fibrosis before i was diagnosed with it nobody in my family has it even though it is a genetic disease so both my parents are carriers of the gene and finally the pediatrician Um, after 18 months was like you know maybe um, it might be this disease and my mom was like no way there's no way she can have a disease I mean there's no, it's just cold like she can't be that sick um but lo and behold that was what it was and it was diagnosed um, through a sweat test so that's the the issue with cystic fibrosis is an imbalance of water and salt in and out of the cells and so Mm -hmm. um, it leads to more Salt on the on the outside of, of the cells. So the sweat test um, measures the amount of salt on the skin surface, mm-hmm. and so that was high, and so that's how yeah, cystic fibrosis is determined. And nowadays, um, it's every child um, at birth is tested for cystic fibrosis. So um, it's one of the many diseases that are tested for, and. So I think that that's become much better and much easier for, for determining the disease um, and also can lead to much more, you know, sooner, sooner intervention and, um, and treatment. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, I'd I say that, you know, I don't really have a, a very notable diagnostic journey, which I guess is a good thing um, because if it would have taken much longer, I think that. could have become
0: very very sick without proper care um yeah like now today like as you said cystic fibrosis is like being screened at birth and I think this is like a major advancement because um I know that in the rare disease community one thing that um just a couple months ago a lot of people were kind of advocating for because um, it was newborn screening month was like these different newborn screening procedures um, and kind of like getting legislation that mandates screening at birth for a number of these rare conditions. Um, and I just believe that this kind of really helps because as patients get a diagnosis early, they can kind of like navigate the tri- different treatment options. Um, and it kind of will help them avoid complications later on in life. All right, Um. so the next thing I kind of wanted to get into is as you've um, been in the healthcare community and doing all this like patient advocacy work, um, I was wondering if there's like any myths or misconceptions you have come across, um, whether that relates to like other people's view of rare diseases or like just like cystic fibrosis um any like myths or misconceptions that people may have
1: i think a really big myth and misconception is in you know some rare diseases some some diseases in general are invisible and although I think a lot of people within the CF community can physically see uh, somebody else with CF. There are very um, small signs of, of, of it being visible, but that's only if you really know the disease well. And so I think, you know, for the general population, when they see somebody with cystic fibrosis or various other diseases and rare diseases, you know, they think there's nothing wrong with us, And it's hard to... hard for them to understand what um you know day-to-day treatments can entail what the burden of this disease day-to-day or over a lifetime is um long term um and then also the physical you know i the physical burden and what that can look like and how hard it really is um i have roughly about 30% lung function at this point because of the deterioration of my lung tissue. And it's hard for me to walk up a flight of stairs, um, walk up a hill, um, walk far distances without getting short of breath. But, you know, to the outsider, I look pretty fit. I look like a healthy you know, 29-year-old. Um, and so it's hard to... I feel at times I have to keep up this um, like I have to match my internal with my external and I often don't um, allow myself to complain or to um, verbalize that maybe I need to stop and catch my breath or that no that's actually something I can't do and I can't uh, participate in because of my limitations mm-hmm. of course that at some point i do have to if it is too difficult but um i think that I, I sense from my within myself a lot of hesitancy because i don't want to have i don't want to address i don't want to have those questions coming at me i don't want to have that oh like skepticism most like you know, are you just putting on a front or what, you know, what is fine? Why are you acting this way or what is it? Is it really that bad? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I I don't want to be questioned or judged um, for that because they can't really understand that. Uh, And so I think that those are some of the biggest misconceptions. misconceptions. Mm -hmm. And um, it can be, it's, it's a life... So there, there is a lifelong hurdle, and it. it's always it's always an obstacle Or you know, you're always encountering new people and um, new questions and new experiences that are going to lead to some of these, you know, things that come up. And For example, I have um, a handicap pass in my car, or a handicap parking pass in my car, and I do sometimes hesitate to use it because I... Don't want to step out of the car and then have somebody come up to me and berate me as to why I'm a healthy person and taking up a handicap spot that somebody in a wheelchair should be um, you know, using.
0: Mm-hmm. And nothing
1: against, of course, people in wheelchairs—they have their own um, physical limitations and disabilities. And um, I just think it's you know, in some in some ways. Um, Maybe just a little bit harder
0: in that way as far as that invisible aspect of it and the mental component of that too. Yeah. The disclosure. -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that invisible illness thing um, is really common because um, a lot of, like, rare diseases I know, like, you can't see them on the outside, like, externally. Um, They're internal. And just kind of, like, having that... Um, thought that you have to like prove it to someone if you're going to like as you said take that handicap spot like because they can't see it um, externally. I just feel like that's a big struggle like patients face um, nowadays, and that really needs to be changed. Um, but thank you for sharing that. Um, all right, so um, the next thing is like as I've seen you've done like numerous speaking engagements at, like, numerous conferences, um, different podcasts, and you also, like, write these blogs on, like, cystic fibrosis, um, and your experiences, experiences with it, um, so I was wondering, like, as you speak at these numerous conferences and kind of, um, voice your experiences and stuff like that, um, is there, like, a soul message that you kind of want to leave patients with, or, like, One thing that you want patients to get out of that, like whether it was a speech, that blog, um, what would that be?
1: The main thing that I want is for people to be self empowered. And that means um, to have um, the strength, the confidence. Um, the perseverance, the motivation to first just to know their value in healthcare, in their own care, in the value that their experiences provide to in, in overall to advancing our health care. Um, and that and then that also spans to their communications and having that confidence, and when they are relaying their experiences to doctors, to researchers, to um, other advocacy organizations, healthcare companies, whatever that is, you know, don't, I want people to know how much know how much um, strength they have, um, and how much their experiences matter mm-hmm. to you know, as far as to improving healthcare and how if, you know, if, if companies and if researchers and, and their doctors knew about those experiences, how they could then translate that into tangible improvements across, um, across care in a variety of ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think that's my number one message and that's what I hope to, um, to inspire people to, you know, realize, okay, you know, if, if this person has, um, you know, been able, of course, although, although we all struggle and, and, you know, sharing our experiences isn't going to necessarily relieve us of our daily challenges or, you know, the burdens that we face. In some ways, it is going to certainly help our own care or the future. Of those that live with diseases like ours, because we're we're contributing to advancing that care and knowledge about our condition. So know that you are making a difference when you are being more informed by your care
0: and you're and you are relaying your experiences mm-hmm. to the healthcare industry and community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like as people share their experiences, like. Um, it can be, like, really valuable to patients who may, might be, like, listening to that speech or listening to that conference because if they've, like, been going through something rough or, like, they've just been having a really difficult time um, navigating, like, their healthcare experience um, or anything like that in that situation, like, it can really give them a sense of, like, strength or hope to know that, um there may be this like connection point between them and um the other person or that like they're not the only one who is experiencing like difficulties like deciding between all these treatment options um and just kind of knowing that um other people are kind of also going through the same thing and you're not the only one um I know like as I've um talk to numerous patients a lot of things I've noticed is like kind of patients having um to travel like really far distance, distances to receive care um and also just like not being believed by their doctor or going from doctor to doctor trying to find the right one for them um and just knowing that you're not the only one like going through these things and experiencing these things I think really helps patients um and that's why I really think um sharing your story and experiences is really important especially in rare diseases where there's not like a lot a lot like number of patients who have your condition exactly yeah you're absolutely right um all right so as we kind of um close out now I was wondering if there are like any resources that you would like to share with my podcast audience today? Um, just to clarify, like my audience is mainly comprised of like rare disease patients, caregivers, and also um, rare disease organizations.
1: Um, I would say I know. Obviously, I have a lot of information about resources for cystic fibrosis specifically, but. Um, in general I I would say um, Global Genes and Nord are um, great um, you know rare disease uh, organizations that uh, are really um, I think providing a wealth of information also possible opportunities for um, rare disease patients and families and um, and they're just in general um, I think their platform provides a lot of um, opportunities for um, for families and patients, and for also for companies to um, learn about new research and um, how to how we can advance uh, research together uh, for rare diseases. So those two come to mind, but um, yeah, maybe I will. If maybe if you link, maybe I can link some more in the, in the description of the podcast after
0: yes definitely um and also like if you want to send me anyone's like cystic cystic fibrosis specifically um i will definitely link any of the resources um that we are mentioning in the podcast um all right and then i was just wondering if there's like anything else you would like to share with my podcast audience today whether that is like something like a motivational quote or like just a message that you would like to send out to my audience today?
1: Um, I think what I mentioned about the self-empowerment was one of my main messages. Um, But I think one quote that I live by is something I'm not even sure where I got or how I came up with, but in some ways, it relates to cystic fibrosis, um, and it is um, because I live and breathe, and there's no really ending, it's not a, it's just a clause, it's not a full sentence, but um, I fill in the rest of the sentence, so, you know, because I live and breathe, I can do X, Y, and Z. Um, it's, it, it's what motivates me mm-hmm. to pursue my efforts, my passion for advocacy, for writing, for um sharing my patient experience and for just motivating myself personally too, because of my condition and um, and to um, work towards better healthcare for myself, and my personal health. Um, and so that um it's just a it's just a saying or I guess a, a, clause, a phrase that um, helps me to, um, pursue and continue my, my efforts and
0: my life in the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then could you just, um, let my patient, let my audience know, like, what your website is, so if they're interested in kind of looking at the other work you've done or, um, looking at your consulting opportunities, um, could you just let them know the website?
1: Yeah, you can find more information about me at com. And you can also find me on Instagram. I have an advocacy Instagram, that's Ella Belassa Advocacy. And then also on Twitter, which is Ella Balassa 1.
0: All right, perfect. Um, so I would just like to thank you so much for joining me t- today, Ella, and sharing your experiences. Um... I know all my listeners will be very excited to listen to your unique perspectives and insights um, on your advocacy and also all the work you've done in the rare disease field. Um, So thank you for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.